0: That is a great prayer for us to consider. Be still, my soul. Is there anything that just needs quieting, needs to be stilled? Do you come in with an anxious thought or maybe a limp in your step? Uh, There is a lot that we can do to recenter, and I think it starts with praying a simple prayer, singing a, a beautiful song that just invites the stillness of God's presence in our life it doesn't mean things go away it doesn't mean things get easier it just allows for us to experience the presence of God in the midst of it I like to promote the idea of what is theologically referred to as the priesthood of believers that is the simple premise that there is no distinction between what is traditionally known as the laity and the clergy if you have said yes To following Christ, you said yes to full-time Christian ministry. I didn't know if that's what you knew you were saying yes to. But that also means that to be a minister is to put the divine on display. Whatever your day job is. Uh, So I like to just take a moment to highlight a couple of things that are happening in and among our community and to take a little community spotlight moment because so much happens in the life of our extended family of faith that we don't always get to share or be privy to. It was a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got a text and then I had a coffee and then had a great conversation and Hal and I met, Gail gave me the heads up, uh, and Hal has an older sister, an older sister by 19 years, 19 year older sister, which plays, and that's your only other sister. That's your only other sibling. So that plays as a surrogate mom. But when she passes away, the family looks at him as, a, well, of course, you're gonna lead us in uh, this memorial service. And so I was so proud of being able to sit and hear his heart for his sister because it's not just grieving the loss of a sister someone who contributed to raising you now you're coming to understand that I'm the patriarch of the family I'm sort of the elder statesman and so there's this weird sort of transition that happens but I love the picture of being able to stand in front of the extended family and friends and being able to host the memorial service and so Uh, Hal, I'm proud of you. I know that was a loss, but I also think that's part of how you're able to grieve and and, and let go. So that's a beautiful thing. I also was text a picture after our last meeting, and I just had to do... The kids put together a basket, and um, uh, Kathy texts me this word and says... Hudson, what you doing over there? And he says, well, I had to uh, add names to my my bag at church to keep praying for people. And so this is Hudson adding his names for his prayer bag because we are committed to nurturing, practicing a living faith not just a Sunday go to church faith but we're being mindful of the things and needs around us that might be just different than our own but we should cause uh be give give, uh, attention to so uh those are just a couple of things that I like to make sure we just lift up and say that's the good stuff that's the stuff that's fun to come together. It's why we try and stay current in each other's lives. It's how we come alongside. And even though everyone cleans up so very nicely when we gather, there's real stuff going on. And unless we just take the time to dive in a little deeper, we, we miss the good stuff. A couple of announcements real quick. We are looking sta- straight into the Christmas season. And has anyone started playing Christmas music? Cause that would be wrong. <laughs> Saw that hand. The altar's open now. Uh, listen, uh, I want to do something this year. We, we, uh, we are going to be doing an Advent series. But uh, again, I don't want to make this sort of a, an event that we do at church. I'd like to decentralize the Christmas season and the Advent celebration. Advent is one of the ways where we just, there is this coming, this anticipation uh, of not just that Christ came as a child, but that Christ is coming again. And then there's something glorious and, and worth celebrating, but maybe even more importantly, worth centering on. So when we sing "Be Still, My Soul," I want to give you sort of next steps to be still in Christmas season through Advent. So a couple of recommended readings. I um, oh, in fact, you can pull out if you haven't already um, downloaded your app. I went online and on the app, uh, I I put under the resource section. Uh, Advent and Christmas longings. Our series this year is is going to be called Longings because I think we get to December with some nostalgia, with some sacred longings, with some sentimentality, with some kind of family longings. So I want to go through these four themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, And we're going to be doing that on Sundays. We're going to be lighting candles. Uh, We're going to be just celebrating in traditional fashion. But what I've also done is try to give you, and I don't know how many of you grew up with it, but there is a little bit of a guide to an, an introduction to Advent. Something that I want to give you as moms and dads, a way to instill in your kids around the dinner table. I want you to just add it to what you do. And one of the resources is I ordered this last year, Advent in the Christmas season. It's Henry Nowen, he's a great writer, great thinker. Um, He's passed away. Uh, But uh, he just has some nice Christmas devotional ideas. If you want to take it a step further, there's some great resources that you can do, whether it be for coloring or storytelling, um, uh, for, for children as well. But I also... Uh, included a couple of links on the website. If you don't already have a wreath at home with your tapered candles, uh, I would encourage you to practice lighting the candles at home because every kid is fascinated with the idea of lighting matches and lighting a candle and blowing it out. That is just like an amusement park. So you'll have a captive audience if you want to do this. If you don't have the greens and the garland at home, uh, I included a link. It goes directly to Amazon. Order yourself one. Uh, there's two links, one for candles, one for the wreath, and you'll be good to go. But you can get them real cheaply if you want to just assemble it at like a Hobby Lobby. But you've got a couple of weeks, but I just want to put that out there. We're going to be going through that together. I want to encourage you and, and motivate you to pick that up. A uh, couple of other things that I was just going to, to mention um, is, oh, let's back up. Before I get to that, we are doing something called, uh, it's our three-year wellness checkup. Because in January, Mission Hills is turning three. That's three years of faith, community, and mission in Austin. And one of the things we want to do is kind of do a wellness check. Uh, Not so much a survey. A survey has a way of creating a wish list, but we're just trying to take the pulse and see the health. We think there's some things that we're doing really well at. We think that there's some growth areas. But we have a leadership team that functions kind of like our board. Uh, And I would like just the members of our leadership team to stand up. Uh, If if you guys uh, and gals are present, um, that would be great, uh, and then did was it okay? Give her a push and get her uh, hold, hold, her up. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, we're, we're we're strong in heart, uh, and so each a, each of these folks have a list of names, and we just kind of created a, a list of questions that we just want to create a dialogue um, because this is like an extended family, and sometimes you need to have family talks you gather the family up and you just have heart to hearts and it's not just could you do this better it's what could we imagine together and so hopefully it's not just us having a bigger punch list to knock out but it becomes part of the family discussion about how we need to grow develop and mature as a three-year-old church and um, and so that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks so if you get an email from one of these lovely folks Uh, please respond to it please have some conversation and then they'll follow up with a a kind of a a conversation Um, and then uh, since we all turn in three we have a a big party that we don't want to throw for ourselves we don't want to give ourselves a pat on the back and so last year was Gatsby the year before that was a Casablanca this year we're going masquerade okay super simple coat and tie I mean come on now there's there's some cute cocktail dress that you can wear it's kind of a semi-formal am I saying that right Um, I would encourage you uh, to find and and get creative with your own mask but if you don't one will be provided for you uh, in the absence of you providing one for yourself face painting is okay uh, but this is a time to like figure out who needs to be made uh, accessible to faith and community? Who do you know that would, would want to come and just have a fun night as we celebrate what's going on? This is also a night, if you've like, if we built bridges uh, with, with um, organizational partners or, 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 or different needs in the community, we want to encourage them to come this night as well. So we got that coming up. It's on um, Super Bowl weekend. Which is the first weekend. Uh, we're gonna do it on that Saturday night, February. S- it, says fourth, it, says it says fourth, but it's the second? Gosh, I gotta get better help around here. Uh, um, uh, yes, uh, so it's February second. Sorry. Right. Like yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <Yeah. laughs> it's like patch Adams how many fingers (laughs) squint Uh, um, so yes uh, that's coming up okay well that's too bad I'm so sad that that just happened it's at this time I think we want to go ahead and lay hands on our kids and we want to dismiss our kids for their time to continue their time of worship. So let's lay hands on our kids and say this the blessing over them. Uh, we want to dismiss you now for your, to continue your time of prayer or of worship and teaching. Bless you. Continue your worship. Thank you. All right. Hey, what do I need to do over here? Well, I'm sitting here walking on that cable, so that probably doesn't help. Let me see if that does it, if I just go back into the program. No,
1: yeah, it's, 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 not a signal of,
0: uh, here. it still be presenting there?
1: Please, 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 please,
0: please. OK. Well, that's unfortunate. OK. I think I got it all. I think I got it all. Uh, Let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, We have been in an interesting series for me uh, to to develop uh, in and around the idea of our prayer lives. But um, what is it that you, and feel free to answer aloud, uh, but what is it that you hope to accomplish in and through prayer, your own prayer? Is there some objective that you have that when you pray, you are hoping to see fulfilled? I'm sorry? It's not rhetorical. You actually want to to answer. You're free to. I think a burden lifted. Mm-hmm. Feeling a burden. Yeah. Getting the burden lifted. What else? I'm feeling connected to God. I don't want to feel connected, which sometimes can be hard if it's a monologue. I don't want to for a uh, friend's meeting. Yeah. God, I do want to see a move in, in someone else's life. It's not just for me. Direction. I like that. Yeah. A little little clarity. Someone else. Is there something that motivates you to pray? Or is there something that maybe keeps you from praying more? Fear of disappointment. Mm, I don't want to make it known. Don't want to be disappointed.
1: I think sometimes
0: it's, it's urgent but not or it's important but not urgent it's like I will get to it and I just ran out of time. I didn't make time for it. Yeah. Anxiety. Anxious for what? The lack of answer or faith? Okay. I might get an answer that I don't like. I don't want. Or I might not hear an answer at all. Or God's silence comes through loud and clear. Well, here's what I have discovered about prayer is that when we engage with God in and through prayer, what it should do is create a feeling of vulnerability. Um, And it's like any relationship that we would have, be it a spouse, be it with a child, be it with a friend, be it with a... If we don't, aren't willing to make ourselves vulnerable, that is, put ourselves out there there is no opportunity for that relationship to actually grow, to see it develop, to see it move. Uh, And so if we say that we're in love with God, if we say that we are following after Christ, there is going to be a kind of push and pull, a kind of tearing at us inside about letting our desires, our requests, our wants become known. That's just part of the deal. And if silence is the answer, I don't think that's the final answer, but it's like anything else. It's like imagining courtship without ever opening up. Imagine all the butterflies that you have in those first few dates, those first few hours, and there's just this sort of initiative, this desire to want to know and be known To want to share your stories because you feel like there's this chemistry. You feel like there's this momentum. And so it is with God. But I think there's a lot of things that kind of inhibit that. And so practicing the presence of God, which is what this whole series has been about, is, well, practice. It doesn't feel like the most natural thing in the world to become known to God or to know God. But that's what we're invited into. And so practicing the presence of God means we're learning to trust God with both our future and our failures. It's being willing to come to God in the struggle, in the beauty, and the mundane and say, I understand that you're still with me even though I don't always get it, like it, appreciate it, or whatever, So, we started to look at one of the most ancient prayers that the Hebrews prayed twice a day. It was a fixed time prayer, but it was a a way to center themselves. It's like they built into their daily life our rhythm for renewal. And so they'd start their day, and it would often be their last words. It would be what they'd teach their kids to pray before they shut their eyes at night. And it was the Shema prayer that you and I would understand as love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. with all your strength and we've heard that again and again but it actually starts by saying listen here O Israel listen people of God which is always a great way if not the right way to start with prayer Our lives are not still enough to begin a listening exercise. But the people of God for ages started with this daily fixed time prayer so that they can have a mechanism to sensitize their heart to the prompts of God with a call to listen. The Lord our God is one. And then it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and then it goes on to say, impress these things on your kids, and they gave the four times a day, and we talked about those four times, morning time, and evening time, and meal time, and taxi time. Well, the Shema actually unfolds into three sections. I've mostly limited it to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. That's what we've spent the last four weeks talking about there's another section in Deuteronomy 11 that sounds very similar but it includes lots of blessings and rewards and rather than developing that I want to jump to the third part because it's one of the most curious passages it's one of those obscure passages that when you read it you're like don't get it doesn't do anything for me no goosebumps today and you just kind of go on going I should have studied Hebrew or I should have been born Jewish but it's hard to really understand but if you get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of it it's fascinating to me and it comes out of Numbers chapter 15 and it says this it talks about it talks about tassels, and it talks about um, fringes, and it talks about shawls, uh, and it raises lots of questions. But I think, and when I began to study this, when I began to uh, like unpack this, what it meant to them, but what it means today. It made the New Testament come so alive and it actually inspired something in my own prayer life. And we are called to be a people of prayer who exercise the kind of faith that's willing to make ourselves vulnerable, the kind of faith that actually prays to to, um, see God do miracles. And I wanna encourage you with this passage and we'll start there and build our way into something that I think will be really concrete and meaningful. Numbers 15, then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. That's you and I, the the children of God. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. And when you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires, defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that I might be your God. I am the Lord your God. So there's this really confusing thing when they're praying this, this central prayer. What is it that we are supposed to understand about a passage like that? Or is that just something we can just... Categorically dismiss as Old Testament there and then? Or is that something lively here and now? I think the latter. And so the picture that we need to start by understanding is of tassels. See, in ancient times, garments were woven and decorated to help distinguish the person's identity, the person's status, the, uh, the person's kind of authority within society. And it was common, especially within royalty and nobility, that men would have tassels attached to whatever garments they were wearing. In fact, it was said that before you signed a signature, it was you put the imprint in like a clay or a wax of the hem of your garment, the tassel on the end of your garment as sort of a signature, kind of like a signet ring going in. That was the seal to, com- to, um, to kind of finalize a deal. Now. Uh, wearing the tassels, the Israelites were wearing this technically like a, a, a royal robe because they were being marked as God's chosen people. And so they would have these sort of prayer shawls and tassels at the end of it. I think there's a a couple of pictures. And so it was very intricate. And you think, is that just kind of their Middle Eastern style? What is it about that fashion statement that doesn't resonate with me? Except all of it was extremely significant and symbolic, and so you would have um, five, uh, there would be like five knots that represented the five books of the Old Testament, because that was God's greatest revelation to the people of God, Five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then there would be 613 threads to represent the way, the 613 commands or the mitzvah, which literally translates into good deeds. The 613 commands in the five books that helps us know how to live in harmony with God, harmony with each other, harmony with our environment. There was something so intricate about the patterns and the detailings uh, of this. And so um, the the blue thread, because you're looking at it, you're like, it has to be a blue cord. Like, what's the deal with the blue cord? Well, the blue cord uh, was the robes of the priest. And they would be dyed with this special, rare snail. (laughs) And it was so hard to come by, but that would be the evidence. The point of it was is it represented the priesthood of believers. Not this sect, not this category, not this just elite educated bunch. It was the idea that if one could wear it, we could all be qualified and called to put the divine on display. We are a royal priesthood. So, the idea that you would wear some kind of royal emblematic symbols in the form of a shawl, in the form of tassels, along the hem of your garment was extremely important. Do you have certain garments that you put on when you come to church? As a kid, I grew up with my church clothes, and those were things that kind of stayed until the weekend, and then we dressed up for church. I guess that would be the closest thing. I don't necessarily have my prayer sweatshirt that it's time to go pray. So I I go, but there was something sacred about these garments because it put them in a different frame of mind. And it wasn't just, oh, I'm comfortable now. I'm good to pray. It was all of the things surrounding it that would help tell the larger story of God's evidence, God's faithfulness in our life. So I started out asking the question what do you expect from prayer well I kind of expect sometimes to be let down I kind of uh, sometimes if I'm honest assume God's silence that God's going to be slow in answering but what helps me stay the course is always who God has been historically so that I can actually know the trajectory of God based on his faithfulness in my life that got me to this point even though this point feels hard Come on now. So when you're the people of God and you're like weaving in this sacred history with with God's faithfulness, it's really hard to get too discouraged because you know the parting of the sea. You know the manna. You know about the water in the desert. You know about 400 years of captivity. You know, you know, you know. And if you and I had to write down in bullet point fashion, we could do the exact same thing. God showing up but we don't but we should listen people of God the Lord your God is one love him with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul don't forget God's faithfulness it's a beautiful picture I have to share with you something that is rather kind of intimate but it's the best thing I I know and it's funny I um came to understand this and so um this is uh, a shawl and it has really significant meaning uh because we had a friend and it wasn't sort of patterned after that but um it was after our third miscarriage that we had a friend that we were in intentional community with we were a part of a kind of a regional tribe living in the bay area and we would meet every month for this sabbath retreat (laughs) and um Uh, when you go through uh, your miscarriages before you have kids there's the anxiety of of, will we ever have kids and we were married for five years before we were able to have our son and then uh, after we had Annika we uh, we were looking at the clock and we were looking at things and I wasn't trying to improve on what I thought was perfect but we were open to the idea of a third knowing that it would be really hard now but could be really beautiful later kids coming home And I remember uh, getting the call uh, and um, it was hard because you had to help uh, then probably like a two and a four-year-old process what is a miscarriage because we were spending time at the dinner table talking about names, gender, making room, where is this little person going to sleep and who does this person get to sleep with and whose toys are they going to want more I mean it was as if it was I mean it was a it was a loss because it wasn't just Laurel and I it was all of us and so we had this friend and out of nowhere at one of these retreats we were on not unlike we went on last weekend but had heard about it. and miscarriage is one of those things that affects everyone a little different um, this being our third um, we'd been down this road before but it didn't make it any less easy but this lady sat and just began to pray as she sewed this became a prayer shawl it's nothing that we've worn too much or used very often except this is the closest thing I have to this and so do you ever know of that verse that it says and when you pray don't go out into the public square but pray and go to your closet and pray and it talks about the privacy the prayer shawl was known as the prayer closet and so one would pray And take a kind of covering. This is what it looked like for Jewish worship. And they would have these threads that would be woven in. Do you ever have the old finger, like tie a reminder, a a string around your finger for a reminder? You put a rubber band around your wrist. These would be the reminders of God's presence, God's history, God's faithfulness, and what God is still doing, even though today hurts like hell because today doesn't have to be the final word and so um, you don't really know how to receive a gift like this you're kind of like thank you but you're you're grieving it's it's tender it's vulnerable thanks thanks but you're not ready to necessarily talk about it And so this, this head became the temple and the prayer closet and every practicing Jew would have worn a prayer shawl. This was part of the prayer regiment because it wasn't just about what have you done for me lately, God? It's God, I'm praying for things to come. I'm trusting you with my failures and my future, but I can't divorce that from who you've been, even generations behind me. See, I celebrate the sacrifices of those who have gone before me in this nation, those veterans among us who have fought for my privilege today, but I also have to celebrate the heritage and the sacrifices that were made and the scandalous scarlet letter of a a genealogy that I have, but that's emerged out of the ashes. Oh, it's hard to pray with just a short short-mindedness a short-sightedness now the importance of the uniform or by wearing the tassels God wanted the people of God to be reminded that he had put them on display as a nation of priests a royal priesthood a light to the nation and a witness that would serve to all others if you'd like on the app, I put a more detailed outline than what's in your notes. Some of you like to jot things, some of you might wanna follow with more prose, but I just wanna make that aware. I'm trying to keep up with with the app and you can save those electronically and add to them. But in Malachi chapter four, there is this probably some 500 or so years before the coming of Christ, this prophetic word spoken. And again, I wanna connect the dots of what scripture has to say and leading to Christ, and it says this, the lords of heaven's army, because they're they're living in in sort of wayward abandon, they're living in disobedience, and he says, the lord of heaven armies, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace, and on the day of, uh, on that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw, and they will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Listen to this. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in the wings. Now he speaks with really strong words against greed and against oppression and against this kind of selfishness that doesn't care for the needs among them. But what he's saying here that there would be healing in the borders of the shawl. The Hebrew word kanaf for border is the same word that Numbers, four, uh, Numbers 15 is used is talking about wings. Huh? See, there's so much that we miss out and not being kind of culturally rooted, not being fluent in the original language. And even Ezekiel prophesied that the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. Okay, so language of, of tassels and wings and shawls. The Hebrew word for wings could easily be identified with tassels that the Jewish men would wear on the corners of their robe. And it's based on this prophecy, all Jews expected that the Messiah would have healing in his tassels. Does this make you think of anything in particular? Let me point you to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, there's a mosh pit. It's like walking through um, the center of ACL, hoping to not get touched. Jesus, not being highly sensitive to people. Some people are really getting really nervous around crowds. Some people don't like noises. Some people react to sugar, whatever it is. Being a highly sensitive person in this crowd, he wasn't. He just goes, wait, who touched me? And the disciples were like, are you kidding me? It's packed in here. We can't get through without bumping into people. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been the subject of bleeding for 12 years. That is hemorrhaging. Uh, She came up behind him, super important, and touched him on the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Has anyone ever read this story and thought it curious? What is she doing thinking if I could just get a piece of Jesus? If I could just touch him? Boy, she's got faith that I can't imagine. No, she understood prophetic word. She was well-versed in Jewish law. But because she was quote-unquote unclean, she was not allowed into Christian fellowship. She was unclean and therefore had to be ostracized out on her own. So she's suffering from isolation. She's suffering from some rejection and abandonment. She's suffering from 12 years of bleeding, which made her ceremonially unclean, unable to come in contact. She goes, oh, to hell with it. I can't live like this any longer. And out of desperation, through the crowds, comes up behind him and grabs on to the tassels of Jesus because she understood the prophetic utterances that had been said for centuries Jesus came to fulfill the law so Jesus would have had tassels like every good Jew she had tried everything and it didn't work and Jesus stands up and he's like okay who touched me which is sort of like is this a parable are you kidding me and the guys are like Jesus come on now focus focus and uh but he heals her physically but he says go in shalom And the word for shalom isn't just peace as in the absence of conflict. The word shalom is that there would be something restored relationally, emotionally, physically. Shalom is a broader definition that we really have an inadequate word for to speak of when God and Jesus dismiss her in the shalom, go in peace. It's the healing that I think we all need in countless ways. Be still, my soul. She's profoundly aware of her need and is willing to go at great lengths, at great energy, at great cost to maybe even persecution and, 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 and uh, kind of being uh, reprimanded because she's now violating and potentially making Jesus unclean. And anyone else she touches, what is she even doing here? And he's like, oh no power just went out for me who touched me I wonder could our prayer life be that kind of expression of faith do we end up praying simple prayers of God bless God protect God keep my kids safe or do we pray prayers of God will your kingdom come will your will be done God, will you you turn their hearts? Will you heal this land? Will you bring people to salvation? Would you convict their spirit? Would you bring dreams and revelation to people who are far from you and cynical of you? What kind of prayers are we praying that would be a demonstration of God's power that require us to maybe exercise more faith? I love that she approaches him from behind because the woman's so aware of her brokenness and though she's scared, she's willing to just throw herself unashamedly. In Tuscaloosa, I was suffocating spiritually. I'd grown up on the West Coast where secularism was the norm, And so it was unusual to find someone that also attended church and was a Christian. So I made a very low level of assumption about what people did on their weekends. But we grew up in church, and it was a great experience, and I had an extended family and a family of faith. But when I moved to the South, everyone seemed to be a Christian, or at least everyone had their membership at some church, even if they hadn't been there in three Easters. So I was really having a hard time with what I perceived as cultural Christianity. But I loved working with the students of the University of Alabama because they had a sort of unfiltered, unvarnished, spiritual curiosity, but entirely institutionally skeptical approach. And they had written off the church as being not safe to ask questions. The church is a place that teaches you how to think. And so there is no room for dialogue. So... Uh, I began a group called God Who. It was an open discussion on the purpose and or existence of God. I've shared this with some of you before. We met at the Ferguson Center, and we began um, just on Wednesday nights, just meeting, and it took off for three years and had different people cycle through, but there was a core group that stayed with us. I remember the reason it stopped is because we were going to be leaving after that year. Uh, It was one of the most life-giving, hardest things that I had done. But I just wanted to create a place for dialogue and for people to ask questions this one girl her name is Lene Lene Carroll she was on the debate team she was whip smart Uh, she was a part of this crowd of progressives and one of her friends came to faith in Christ and the, the indictment came down how can you be progressive and be a Christian uh, and I mean, it was just intellectual snobbery because there was something that you just had to check your mind at the door if you were going to say yes to Jesus. But we had this kind of crowd of people, and Lene was a part of that, and she was coming to God Who, and she was adding her. She had grown up with some Christianity, and she had grown up, uh, but, but kind of rebelled intellectually and thought this, this is silly. But um, she came up, and uh, it was in the spring of 2003 where we were hosting a baptism service and her testimony was this. I remember that I came and I darted out the second time uh, because it's like she got too close to the fire. And when she came a second time, she went home and she says, I just started crying. I couldn't stop crying uh, because her words, the way she said it was, I cried and I cried because I knew healing was in reach. It was within reach and somehow she had discovered a kind of truth a kind of community a kind of shared practice a kind of kinship and a kind of hope that she had somehow not experienced before and baptism just became the outward expression of something that was happening so inwardly in her life This was one of the most uh, outwardly spoken feminist women who actually taught me that the origin of NOW, the National Organization of Women, started as a pro-life group because there was all these women that were being exploited because they were getting impregnated and they were trying to get them to hush. And so they banded together for the sanctity of life. That's a different organization today. But this feminist liberal was the one who taught me about that and I can't find very much on it on the internet now there's a revisionist history about that organization that's neither here nor there but it was amazing commentary she taught me so much but here she came and her testimony like the woman who reached out for the tassel on Jesus knowing that there was healing was in within reach I cried and I cried my whole way home because I knew healing this prodigal was coming home. See the lesson of the tassels is that we are a kingdom of priests. First Peter says it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness for his marvelous light. See the prayer shawl? The tzitzit, which is what's called the tassels, were a way to just be reminded of God's faithfulness they were a reminder that you're a royal priesthood the colors were symbolic and significant and also sacred there was this way that we were being taught to how to pray and be reminded that we are a kingdom of priests a holy nation a royal priesthood and we are to become more obvious in exercising our faith starting with prayer. I hope that ignites your prayer life in some way. I hope you don't just pray for your Cheerios tomorrow morning. I hope that God would bring, because you stop to listen, a face, a name, a crisis, a need that might not even affect you, but you begin to intercede and you don't let go until you have resolved. I hope that God would begin to stir in you and we begin to pray prayers that require us to move mountains because we thought there's only God that could have done this. I think there's this invitation to pray with greater levels of faith for our church, for the people of peace that are yet to fill these seats. Who are we praying that God's salvation, God's kingdom would come in their life, in their home, that would begin to restore and repair what's been broken? we are invited to pray with God's faithfulness in mind and make ourselves fully vulnerable where we retreat to our prayer closet but we're reminded that we are a part of God's royal priesthood. Would you pray with me as we just close our time? I want to have some time. We're going to close with communion tonight and, and we're going to celebrate If you're a Christian, I would just simply ask you this. What reminds you you're a minister, part of God's royal priesthood? And then what helps you connect with God's faithfulness in your present? Father, speak to us during this time. We give you this time of of worship and prayer, of focus It's with gratitude.
1: Sometimes the cup reveals just how empty or thirsty that we are, and we really didn't know it or realize it. Sometimes the cup reveals how full we are, but what are we full of? What spills out most often when our lives get bumped? Sometimes what's inside us just needs to be poured out as an offering, poured out to the source of every good and perfect gift. And other times the cup reminds us that it needs to be empty before it can actually be filled. In other words, we can't just add God to our lives without first surrendering. and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.